Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. Who's got the number one pick in this year's Detroit. draft? Who's got the number one pick in this year's draft? Basketball! Select Isaiah Stewart. The Detroit Pistons select Killian Hayes. Sadiq, that was absolutely sensational. I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. From long range. Oh! Yes! Yes! Detroit Basketball! What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brought to you by Believe, Aaron Johnson, and joining me today, Jasper Apollonia, bringing you this week's edition of the show. Jasper, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Aaron. Uh, I just got off watching my favorite soccer team, Juventus, uh, put on an absolutely despicable display against Benfica, so I've been in better moods, but we actually have a little something to talk about. Uh, in terms of the Pistons this week, we were worried about our topics, and luckily the NBA gods provided. Thank you to Hoop Jesus. We appreciate you as always. So, Aaron, I'm excited to talk about what we have this week. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad. I'm very thankful that some stuff came out of the woodwork for us to talk about, and we've gotten saved by the bell a few times in that regard where we've been coming up on a show and it's like, what are we going to talk about this week? But we got some good stuff this week to chat about, to discuss, uh, partially because of Stephen A. Smith, partially from some other stuff to get into. Excited to get into all of that. Before we do, though, let's talk about who makes this podcast possible. None other than Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, so our first topic is essentially just Cade Cunningham. There's a couple media pieces, media notes surrounding Cade Cunningham that have come out over the last week or so. Uh, the first one that we'll start off with is Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Stephen A. Smith was in Detroit recording a live edition of First Take, I believe, last week. And he had some comments about Kate Cunningham. Stephen A. Smith said, really what was in line with what he said back before the draft uh, when Kate Cunningham was drafted last year, that he was questioning his motor and he doesn't have a great motor. And Jasper, I 
first off, I'm curious if Stephen A. Smith has actually ever watched the Detroit Pistons play basketball. <laughs> but after Kate Cunningham's rookie season, do you agree with the question mark that Stephen A. Smith apparently has with Kate Cunningham's motor and drive when playing the game of basketball? No, I, I think it's ridiculous. And it's completely ridiculous that this is not just something that he's making up off the top of his head, but it's something that he's actually been consistent on, which is kind of a surprise when it comes to Stephen A. Smith in general, uh, considering just last week, he picked the Raiders to beat the Chargers uh, despite 30 seconds earlier saying the Chargers were going to score the most points of any team in the AFC West that game. Don't know how that was going to happen. Uh, it would have been the first NFL victory for a team that scored less points than their opponent. But uh, when it comes to this, it's it's something that he's actually been kind of consistent on. And like you said, Aaron, it is something that he touched on even before the draft. You look at his comments then. I have them right here in front of me, albeit pared down slightly. He said, when they looked at Cade Cunningham, they said there were times where he could be more aggressive. When you play at the collegiate level specifically, when you play 30 games a year and anybody questions your motor, that's a huge bad sign. Because the belief is you're not making the money you make at the NBA level yet, and you're trying to prove it. Russell Westbrook is someone you got to idolize. You can't ever come across like there's a lack of energy. That's always a red flag for and that to me just, I mean, speaks to a, the fact that he even admitted he did not watch a lot of Kate Cunningham in college, but B also just talks to a, a total misunderstanding of what Kate Cunningham's game is. The reason he's not Russell Westbrook is because that's not what his game is. He's not the type of guy that's just going to viciously attack the defense with his athleticism night in, night out for 48 minutes, if possible. He is the dude that brings it all together. He's the guy that keeps things under control. And when you're saying that he should be playing more like Russell Westbrook, well, we've seen the downsides of a player like Russell Westbrook, where he's not able to get his teammates involved, where he's not able to call a game to dictate the pace of things in a way that it is advantageous to his team. Kate Cunningham is. So for me, this is a, a totally absurd criticism of Cade Cunningham, an absurd criticism of his game, and one that completely misunderstands what makes Cade Cunningham special. Saying that he's got to improve his shot, he's got to improve his motor, um, that to me just, it speaks to a complete lack of understanding, not only of the type of player Cade Cunningham is, but why you draft a player like him number one overall uh, Aaron I'm interested to hear do you see anything to this because I, I think it's also to be fair to Stephen A. Smith he's also said look Cade's got skill he clearly belongs in this league he has even said he's the guy that he would have taken number one overall um, so it's not like he's totally ripping apart Cade Cunningham but I'm just interested do you think that there's any merit to, to what he's saying, because for me, there's nothing in those comments. Yeah, I didn't really get that whole idea of questioning Cade Cunningham's motor before the draft and certainly after the historical rookie season that he had in Detroit. Uh, I don't feel that way now either. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Stephen A. Smith's going to make some comments about the different franchises in Detroit when he comes into town. 
He made comments about, oh, I'm shocked to see anyone wearing a Lions jersey in the building. I'm surprised there's more than one person. He said something along those lines. You know, he said the Tigers suck. Like, obviously, he's going to come into the town, which, by the way, he's not wrong about the Tigers. I will give him that. <laughs> he's not wrong. He's not wrong about the Lions either. But, hey, that's that's a different podcast. So, uh, obviously, he's going to make some claims. Um, I think this is probably the worst one he made while in town, um, to be honest with you. Like, I, I just don't see the merit to this. And in talking about motor and comparing it to Russell Westbrook, like, yes, like, Russell Westbrook's game is is based on his motor, but also Russell Westbrook's game is, at least it used to be, which is probably the, the version of Russell Westbrook that Stephen A. is thinking of when he talks about this, is Russell Westbrook's game is predicated on his athleticism. And that's not Kate Cunningham's game. Kate Cunningham is not similar to Russell Westbrook, really, in any sense of the imagination when trying to talk about the archetype of player that they are and the archetype of player that they need to be. Like, Russell Westbrook is an athletic, fast freak of nature who could just overpower and and beat his opponents to the rim. That's not what Cade Cunningham is. We've always talked about Cade Cunningham in this sense of he's a methodical, break you down, beat you. As soon as you make one small mistake, that's all he needs to get to his shot, to get an angle at the rim. Like He's not going to just overpower you, out-athleticism you, kind of like the hope is and the belief is and what Jaden Ivey is going to be able to come in and do. Like Jaden Ivey is more of the Russell Westbrook archetype, quote unquote, than what Kate Cunningham needs to be. So I, I don't think Russell Westbrook's motor is his, is the thing that's being, I guess the right way to put this is like Stephen A. Smith is calling Russell Westbrook's athleticism, his motor essentially. And that's just not, comparable with Kate Cunningham they're two completely different players Kate Cunningham is a perimeter scorer not just a finisher at the rim like Russell Westbrook is a finisher at the rim he doesn't shoot well so he can't do that like I just don't understand the claim here I feel like he could have said so many different things about the Pistons that would have more than likely been true because the Pistons have just been piss poor over the last however many years so he could have gone with literally essentially anything else, uh, but going at Kate Cunningham, I don't think, at least in this regard, like if he would have came out and said, oh, you know, Kate Cunningham, I don't know if he's really a point guard. You look at how much he turned the ball over. You look at, you know, how he played against the Lakers or Anthony Davis blocked him when he went to the rim a couple times. Like, I don't know if he brought out that and there was at least like, oh yeah, Kate did actually struggle turning the ball over last year. And he looked like he needed some other playmaking around him. Like, that would have at least been something where, oh, I could see it a little bit. I mean, I still don't know if he's right, but he did struggle with the basketball a little bit. He did struggle turning the ball over. But he came out with something just completely off base that I haven't heard anybody else talk about. When I think of someone questioning a player's motor, like, I think back to Andre Drummond's rookie year. Like, I think back to the early seasons of Andre Drummond's career where that was the talk around him. And I certainly don't get that vibe with Kate Cunningham whatsoever. So I, I didn't really get that that whole shtick uh with Stephen a smith but i think most of what he says is part of an act anyway um so i don't think it should rile anyone up i know there are people upset about it on twitter i wouldn't get too upset about it it's just Stephen a smith he's in detroit he's trying to make headlines part of his act is riling up fan bases that's what has made him such a famous person you love to hate him 
That is part of his game. So I'm not surprised that that was a type of comment that he made. But Kate Cunningham is not just getting a little bit of lack of love from Stephen A. Smith. Perhaps he's getting it from NBA executives as well. Hoops Hype released a poll earlier today uh, where they pulled 15 NBA executives and asked them to rank their top five players under 25 years old. Uh, they were they did this back in January, and then they did it again uh, this, this offseason. And they have a list of, I believe it's 10 players. Maybe uh, I believe it's 12? 15 in total. 15? 15, okay, I can't count. It's all right. 13 guys. Th- there's 13 spots, but, uh, you know, 15 guys. Or actually, sorry, 13. Um, and, and, you know, four of them tied with each other. So, Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green tied. And then uh, uh, Trey Young and Darius Garland also tied. So, Kate Cunningham and, and Jalen Green tied for 11th on the poll. Uh, listed right ahead of them, tying for 9th, were Trey Young and Darius Garland. 8th was LaMelo Ball. 7th, Scotty Barnes. 6th was Zion Williamson. 5th was Anthony Edwards. Evan Mobley was ranked 4th. Number three was John Morant. Number two was Jason Tatum. And number one was Luka Doncic. So ranked 11th was Cade Cunningham behind fellow rookies Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. What do you think about that? I don't even well, know how to phrase the question because I'm, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit taken back by these results. No, I, same. I, this was pretty shocking to me. And look, the top three... I'm not sure we're going to have any disagreement there, right? I think John Morant, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, these are all guys that have taken their teams to the top of their respective conferences. They've made uh, deep playoff runs. Uh, they have made all NBA teams. I don't think there's going to be any disagreement from anyone on those top three players. But once you get to four, <laughs> things start getting a little bit goofy. And Man, you know, I am like one of the biggest Evan Mobley guys out there. I said if it wasn't for Cade Cunningham last year, he would have been my number one overall pick and it wouldn't have been close. But to put him as high as four and then not just to have him at four, but to also have players like LaMelo Ball and Darius Garland. And I'll be honest, even Trey Young above Cade Cunningham when it comes to that potential. Um, I don't necessarily see it. I don't necessarily see it because when we're talking about Cape Cunningham and this actually kind of ties into what we were talking about with the Stephen A. Smith thing, Cade Cunningham is not a player that just fits into one box. He's not just a scorer. He's not just a distributor. He's not just offensive player. He's not just a defensive player. He's a complete player. And much like comparing him to Russell Westbrook is like, comparing Nikola Jokic to Shaquille O'Neal to say that a player with his overall skill set is on the same level, frankly, as a player like LaMelo Ball, who has not shown to me anything really defensively. Um, Somebody like Trey Young, who again, has not come through in the playoffs. I know they made the conference finals a couple years ago, but he did not shoot well last year at all. Uh, And Darius Garland, a player who's much smaller than him 
and has not shown the same kind of scoring or defensive upside. To me, it doesn't make sense. This is just a guy that, frankly, has not just top 10 potential in the league, but probably top five potential. And to have him ranked below guys like Evan Mobley, to have him ranked below guys like LaMelo Ball, to me, it doesn't make sense. Um, I would have him as, as probably as high as six on this list. I still think you can make a good argument for Zion Williamson and Anthony Edwards above him. But those other guys, I'm not seeing it. I'm really not. Um, Aaron, I think I'd have him at five, right above Trey Young. Do you feel any differently than I do on that? I would. I think he has a case to be five. I think he has a case. I don't know if it's clear cut, but I, I think he at least has a case. I think ranking Luca, John Morant, Jason Tatum, without a doubt, I would agree that they rank ahead of him. I would give the nod to Anthony Edwards as well. After that, I mean, we haven't seen Zion Williamson play basketball in, in how long? To be fair, like if Zion Williamson is healthy and he comes back and, and improves upon the way he looked in his rookie year, fine. But we're talking about a guy that didn't play basketball at all last season and has had injury concerns throughout his entire career so far. He's going into year four, and we've seen him play, what, 80 games? Uh, it's I, – I, this list, you get Evan Mobley at four, ranked ahead of Anthony Edwards. You get Scotty Barnes at seven. Uh, look, I have – I think Kate Cunningham, and, and we are all in agreement. I know Mike, in the same way, is very much high on this entire – group right there that scotty barnes evan mobley kate cunningham uh that rookie trio that seemingly is going to be compared with one another for the foreseeable future i think kate cunningham deserves to be higher on the list than both mobley and barnes on an individual level and i think i think we're looking at these guys and yeah, they played good on playoff teams last year, but we're talking about building a team around a young player. They weren't the number one guy. They weren't the number two guy on their rosters last year. So how are you going to build your team around them over a guy like Kate Cunningham, who was the number one guy, had better statistics? Uh, I, I don't know. I think they're all close. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, my God, like, Scotty Barnes doesn't deserve to be on this list. Evan Mobley doesn't deserve to be on this list. They do have a spot on this list. I think all three of them are phenomenal young players. I think that draft class is great. You have a guy like Franz Wagner who is killing it in Eurobasket right now. There's other players, Josh Giddy. I mean, the list goes on with that group. I think that rookie class is phenomenal, but I, I think Kate Cunningham is getting disrespected. I think when you look at the upside, he has higher upside than Darius Garland, than Trey Young. Like at this point, like Trey Young is always going to be a one sided ball player because he is just a black hole defensively. I would have Cade Cunningham probably as of now ranked sixth on this list. Uh, I think ranking him 11 is is an 
underrating, to be honest with you. Um, I just don't love this list, and I'm surprised at how much of a contrast that we have with this group of executives. Now, according to this poll, Kate Cunningham received two votes for fifth overall on this ballot. So there are some executives that at least feel similar to the way you and I do, Jasper. I'm interested to see what all of our listeners think about this. Uh, If you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube, I will include a link to this list in the description of the video so you can go and check this list out and tell us where you would rank him in the comments below because I'm curious to see what everyone thinks. I'm curious to know if I'm way off. If I have Kate Cunningham at sixth on this list, am I way off from everybody else or are other people in agreement that maybe Kate Cunningham is just being underrated by everyone and not just fans or not just Stephen A. Smith in the media, but also competing NBA executives as well. I'm curious to know what everybody thinks about that. Jasper, anything else that you wanted to say yeah. about this list? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, Cause I'm not done with it either. I, I really do think, and this is an important thing to note. It's not just based on, what they've done at this point in their careers. It's based on where these executives feel they are to begin this season. Like, where are they going this particular season? And my guess, my biggest issue with this list is when you're looking at players like Evan Mobley, when you're looking at players like Scotty Barnes or heck LaMelo Ball, Trey Young, Darius Garland, the question for me is how much higher do these players have to go versus Kate Cunningham? going into this season because I think you can look at a player like Scotty Barnes or Evan Mobley. You can say, perhaps, perhaps you think like the NBA media did last year, that they were more impressive as rookies than Kate Cunningham was for whatever reasons. But how much further do these guys have to go going into their second season versus Kate Cunningham? Because I'm not necessarily seeing this huge jump for, for Scotty Barnes going into year two. I'm not necessarily seeing this huge jump in production from Evan Mobley going into season two. Yes, they can refine their skills. Yes, they can become better than they were. But when we're talking about a player like Kate Cunningham, we're not just talking about like Scotty Barnes going from 15 points a game to maybe 18 points a game. We're talking about like Kate Cunningham putting up 22, six and six in his second year in the league. And I have a really hard time seeing how a player who does that who has that kind of capability of improvement from year one to year two, not finishing ahead of the guys that right now are being ranked ahead of him. I'm not seeing how much further LaMelo Ball has to go, unless, of course, he can somehow go from being a terrible defender to being a good one. Same goes for Trey Young. Um, Darius Garland, yeah, he was an all-star last year. Is he an all-NBA player this year? I don't... I don't know if I see that kind of leap coming again from him. I can see it from Kate. I don't see it as much from these guys. So, yeah, I have a very difficult time with this list, especially considering what it's purporting to be, which is not last year, but this upcoming season's uh, top 13 players under 25. And I'll say one more thing. First off, I'll say a couple more things, honestly. I really like Darius Garland. Go I'm off. a big believer in Darius Garland. Uh, I'm very glad that he, you know, built on a rough rookie year, made some improvement year two, and took that leap year three. Like, I'm very, very happy 
that that happened for him because people were writing him off one season in on a terrible Cleveland team. And he's completely flipped the script. He's now one of the darlings uh, uh, of young players in the NBA where the media, the fans are, are really behind him. So I'm very, very happy to see that. I also don't think Cade Cunningham was the other person snubbed in this list. And I'm not necessarily thinking about guys who didn't make the list. I'm not going that far out on this. But looking at 13th, who was tied for 13th mm-hmm. with Tyrese Halliburton, was Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I think, to be honest with you, SGA has just a much as much of a case to be ranked, you know, six, seven, eight, just as much as Keith Cunningham does. This guy, I get he's played, you know, he's going into to year four or year five, but he is, first off, very young for his age. Two, he has been absolutely phenomenal, and it's not his fault that the Oklahoma City Thunder have decided to make his injuries essentially season-ending because they're trying to tank and they didn't want to bring him back because he was helping them win ball games. Like this guy is absolutely phenomenal. He's in my opinion, he's better than Trey young. He's better than Darius Garland, just in terms of an individual player. I think this is a guy that deserves to be ranked above those guys right away without question. He's ranked 13th. He's ranked behind Jalen green. He's ranked behind Kate Cunningham. Uh, that's insane to me. I, I think Shea Gilligas Alexander has just as much of a claim to a top seven, top eight spot as first off any of the guys that are ranked there, as well as who we're talking about, Kate Cunningham. SG is amazing, and he's a six-five guard who's a menace on both sides of the ball. He's a, a triple double threat every night he plays. He's improved as a shooter. We have seen him play big moments. He, we've seen him lift the Thunder through games. Who the Thunder, who are just a miserably bad team but they compete when SGA is on the court because SGA is that freaking good. I think that's a major, major discredit to the player that SGA is and the player that he can still become because he is still a very young player. No, I mean, am I, am I wrong in saying that it seems like the only player on this list whose defense was properly taken into account into their ranking was Evan Mobley? Yeah, that's fair. Right? Like, I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, Evan Mobley's a great defender. LaMelo Ball can't play a lick of defense. Not Neither can Trey Young. So why is SGA, whose production is just as good, if not better than those players offensively, uh, but also plays really, really good defense, why is he below them all of a sudden? Why, why is he worse? I, I Look, you can make the argument for Trey Young because he is such a transcendent offensive talent. I, I'm less irked about that I, I think you can also make the argument that he's a little low I mean considering he's made an all NBA team which is more than you can say for a lot of other guys on this list um but yeah SGA being 13 for me that also just doesn't make sense I I can't in all good conscience say LaMelo Ball going into next year is a better player than him like how in what way he in what way he has better highlights yes but what on earth has LaMelo Ball done that SGA hasn't other than one rookie of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, this that, list. that Charlotte team had no leadership last year. They were horrible. This list is not, is not it, I guess is, is what I'll say. Uh, I, I think you and I have some very fair gripes with it. 
And again, like I said, not even in just not even in terms of just Cade Cunningham. Like is is Anthony Edwards ranked below Evan Mobley fair? If we're if we're talking about Zion Williamson and he's still ranked sixth, despite all the injuries that he's had and all the games missed that he's had, and he's still ranked behind Evan Mobley. And I love Evan Mobley, but I just don't think it's fair. Like Evan Mobley might end up being better than these guys. I can see that world, but I, I I'm not sure if the if we're weighing players the same throughout this entire list. Like if we're talking about injury concerns for SGA holding him back, well then why wasn't that the same for Zion? Because Zion still was ranked sixth. I, this list, yeah, it's. I guess I just don't agree with the mindset of a lot of these NBA executives, which maybe, maybe that's on me. And maybe that's why I'm not uh, in an NBA front office, but I just don't really love this list. And I, it's not because I dislike any of these players. I think they're all great young players in this league. I'm glad to see Tyrese Halliburton even mentioned on this list. And I, cause I think he's a phenomenal young player, but I just think this list across the board has some serious issues in terms of who's ranked where. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's kind of a continuation of the Stephen A. Smith stuff. It's kind of a continuation of every criticism I've heard of Cade Cunningham so far. It just seems like the criteria are all over the board. Yeah, It just, it feels like certain people have this one agenda. Oh, he can't shoot well. And then you have other people who have this agenda, which is he's not an athlete. And they, it's just, but you look at the total package and like, that's a dude. That's a freaking guy. That's a guy who can make an all NBA team. And it just really feels like people have, they have this bone to pick. I don't know what it is. There's always some reason to doubt him, whether he was in college, now that he's a rookie, now going into year two. And frankly, I don't understand it. I've never understood it. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Kate Cunningham prove a lot of people wrong this year because I've said it. I think he's the guy. And this is, you know, people pushed back on it a few weeks ago when we said, who has the most proof of all these Pistons young players? This is why I said Kate Cunningham, because he has so many outers still. He needs to basically be perfect in order for, it feels like, for him to get taken seriously uh, on the national level. And I think that he has the opportunity to show that he is that kind of player this year. And I really, really hope he does it. Um, because there's a lot of people that clearly don't watch Pistons basketball that need to shut up a little bit. Well, I guess we should move on to our last topic. And I'm not sure how we're still here with this, but Kemba Walker is still a Detroit Piston. Kemba Walker was acquired on draft night from the New York Knicks. And Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN subsequently reported that night that Walker and the Pistons were agreeing to a buyout. Fast forward a few months later, and Kemba Walker is still a Detroit Piston. He has not been bought out. He is still on the roster. And we are only a few weeks away from training camp. James Edwards III of The Athletic did some speculation. This is not a report from him, but this is uh, something that he laid out in a piece on The Athletic as to reasoning as to why Walker may still be a part of the Pistons roster. Edwards went into detail saying that it could potentially be a case in which Walker was planning to be bought out because there was an expectation that there were going to be suitors wanting to sign him, and that that may no longer be the case. 
There aren't as many teams. There isn't a team. Who knows? That is just one line of thinking that there were suitors. There's no longer suitors. And now Walker isn't going to take, you know, a $2 million buyout when he's owed $9 million because he's not able to go sign another two, two and a half, three million dollar contract. So now he's waiting to get more buyout money from the Pistons. And obviously that puts Detroit in a little bit of a predicament, a franchise that already owes dead money to a multitude of players over the next multiple seasons. So the Pistons have a decision to make now. Do they buy out Walker uh, for more money, create more dead cap space over the next handful of years, or do they just keep him on the roster? Essentially, I would imagine, sacrifice a roster spot because I wouldn't imagine that he'd report to the team uh, until either A, his contract ends, kind of like, well, not kind of like, because this isn't what ended up happening um, with John Wall, but doing what Houston did and keeping him away from the team, not playing him until they were able to move him off the roster, or, or in this case, Walker's contract ends after next season. I think this is an interesting situation right now that hasn't really been covered too much because it was reported he was bought out. Walker still hasn't been bought out. He hasn't signed to a new team, obviously, either. So this puts the Pistons in a bit of a predicament, Jasper. Uh, it certainly does, because as of right now, even if we're counting, if even if we don't count Buddy Bayheim and Mike Potter, Pistons are at 17 players on their roster. Um, and unless NBA rules have changed, over the last 48 hours, I believe you're still only allowed to go into the season with 15 of those guys on your roster. So they're in a very interesting predicament right now. Um, I don't really know how this is going to go because, I mean, let's be real. It's been, what, three months now almost? June 30th, the Pistons had reportedly agreed to a buyout with Kemba, and it just keeps on going, keeps on going. So... I'm at the point right now where I'm wondering, you know, if the Pistons aren't willing to buy him out for that much, could somebody else kind of be on the chopping block? Saban Lee is only making $1.7 million this year, Aaron. And I'm at the point where I'm starting to wonder if the Pistons, if they're not willing to eat eat it on, on Kemba's contract, if they're going to go ahead and say, fine, we'll keep you here as the third point guard. And Saban Lee is, you know, best of luck with your future endeavors that would be interesting because i'm not opposed to the pistons having another veteran in the room and i don't know if saban lee is a guy that's going to be in the nba a year two years from now heck even without kemba walker you know i think he's a guy that was on the bubble to make the roster this upcoming season uh, but you have training camp starting very very soon I mean, it's September now. It's all about halfway through September. September 24th is when training camp starts. Uh, I think, or excuse me, I think it's September 27th. So September 24th, September 27th, whichever, you're less than two weeks away from training camp beginning, uh, That which means you're about a month away from having to finalize your roster cut down your roster for the irregular season to begin and so that puts some pressure on Detroit to either a we want to keep Saban Lee or whoever else on the roster we have to 
buy out Kemba Walker at a higher price uh, if we want to keep these guys, or we have to make that decision to cut whoever, and we're going to keep Kemba Walker, and we're either going to pay him to not be here, or we're going to see if he wants to play here. Who knows? I mean, do we know if Kemba Walker is still a, a contributing NBA player? I mean, he's had his chances, to be fair. And the, the Knicks didn't, didn't seem to, the Knicks didn't seem to think he was when they benched him last year. So and the Knicks were terrible and they didn't want him. So what does that tell you? I mean, I, look, it's unfortunate. Kemba Walker, his knees have, are just not there anymore. It's kind of like Blake Griffin in a sense. Like Father Time is undefeated. He was a phenomenal player in his prime, but he's always had knee issues. He's always been a little injury prone. And he's just getting to that point in his career where he's just not that same player that he used to be, and he doesn't stay healthy long enough. So even if the Pistons did keep him around as a a third, fourth guard, does it help them? Does that no. make sense for them? No, absolutely not. It, on court, it does nothing for him. I mean, I'm, I'm going to actually ask this. I can't believe I'm asking this. At this point in their respective careers, who would you rather have as your breaking case of emergency point guard? Kemba Walker or Corey Joseph? Yeah, and it's obviously Corey Joseph, which is crazy. I know. I, I think it's kind of obvious, too. As insane as that sounds, because I know Corey Joseph can at least hit threes. You know what I mean? Like, like We're going to be so mad that we said that. I know. I know. Here comes We're the going to mail. get some people saying, oh, we're going to get some. I meant to say something but, in the podcast about this, but... There are some people that think we're so negative and there are some people on YouTube commenting about how we're very negative and, and this and that. And it's like, I don't think it's being negative, at least in, from my perspective, it's trying to be a little bit realistic about the situation. Um, like we, I think you and I were both very optimistic last year going into the season about the Pistons potentially being sneakily okay and they were obviously one of the worst teams in the league. This year, we've kind of dialed back our expectations. I think we've taken a, 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 a look at a bigger scope of the league and said, hey, they, look, the Pistons still got some ways to go. And people have misinterpreted that into thinking, you know, we are super negative about the Pistons. We don't think that they have any good players, this and that. And this is one of those cases that I feel like people are going to feel the same thing. Like, oh, you guys are just trashing Kemba Walker, you know, he's, just because he's a Piston, this and that. No, like, we have the stats. We have the injury history. We have the film. Like, Kemba Walker just isn't that useful of an NBA player anymore, and that's unfortunate. But Corey Joseph, for as much as we griped about him, yeah. we were griping about him because we wanted to see these younger guys get an opportunity to play, like Killian Hayes. Uh, or, it, or even Saban Lee. Yeah. Or even Saban Lee. And then we watched Saban Lee play. And we yeah, said, well, no, we're okay. It's not working. It's not, <laughs> it's that, that's why he was playing over Saban Lee for so long. <laughs> like, even if you don't love the player that Corey Joseph is, he's still a better player than some of the options that Detroit does have. And I think that includes Kemba Walker. So, yeah, for me, Corey Joseph belongs on this team 10 times over uh, Kemba Walker. I, no, no disagreement for me. I, I Kemba does nothing for me, really, in terms of how I'm trying to see this team progress. Um, think about it. He's he's a really ball dominant guard. Even now, it, you know, with his knee shot, he has to have the ball in his hands. And when you have a team with three young guards, I, I'm still going to count 
Killian Hayes in this discussion because he might have a future in this league. Kemba Walker does not. I, I just don't see the, the, the point of having him in this organization. Yeah, if it comes down to him and Saban Lee, so be it. Um, by, by Saban. But if it's anything else, he's got to go. And the Pistons have to figure out a way to get this roster down to 15 spots uh, by October 27th. So I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk about this. And I do think it's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on it, not necessarily as a, oh, whose spot is Kemba Walker coming for, but in terms of are the Pistons going to have to make a, a kind of a desperation trade? Are they going to have to try and overcommit a lot of money to this buyout more than they really want to in a way that could affect them going into next season. I just think it's a good situation for us to keep our eye on because it was supposed to be taken care of two months ago and it still has not been taken care of yet. So I'm very interested to see how this situation progresses. Other than that, um, it on court, it should have no effect on this organization. And I believe we are all in agreement on that. Yeah, I don't think we'll see... Kemba Walker on the court in a Pistons jersey, uh, if that's what people are wondering. The the Pistons have just over a month to figure this out. Rosters have to be set uh, by 5 p.m. on October 17th for the 2022-23 season. So Troy Weaver and company have about a month to figure out what Kemba Walker's future looks like in or out of the NBA. Well, that is what we have planned for today's show. Jasper, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, you know, Aaron, in fantasy football last week, my hubris got the better of me. I made my fantasy team name. I'm carrying the podcast. And unfortunately, your players carried you to victory over me. So once again, uh, a mea culpa from me. Uh, my hubris, my ego have gotten the better of me. And I beg your apologies as always. Yes, and I was going to try to be humble about this. I I did see your name, um, and in the Palace of Pistons Fantasy Football League, I I saw you change your team name to Carrying the Podcast, and it was certainly a motivating factor for my team as we went out and and took ourselves to victory. It definitely felt good, reminded me, hey, I'm still in my prime. Uh, And look, I thought I was going to lose. Monday Night Football, uh, Mike Evans had a hot start to the game. Dalton Schultz, nowhere to be found. I saw my lead dwindling, and I was a bit worried. Uh, but things reversed uh, course of action. I held on for, I think, an eight-point victory. Uh, but who's counting? Certainly not me. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was something closer. I believe it was something closer to, like, seven and a half points, Aaron. But, again, who's counting? It was a great win for the program. Uh, the program, as Nick Saban would say. Uh, I'm happy about it. We're going on to week two. I plan on winning the Palace of Pistons Fantasy Football League this year after finishing in last place last year. Uh, it was unacceptable, and I was so committed to the podcast last year uh, that I took away my attention uh, from fantasy football. I need to divert more attention to fantasy football, less attention to this podcast. So, hey, maybe you will have to start carrying the podcast a little bit more because I have my eyes set on the Fantasy Football League Championship. That's right. You're focused on the most important thing, gambling. <laughs> and I think that's a great moment for us to thank our sponsors, Bet Online and the Believe Podcast Network for hosting us as always. Am I right? 
Uh, it certainly, certainly is. That is going to do it for today's show, guys. We'll hopefully have Mike Angolano back next week. Uh, and we will see you next week for another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.